with us rather for one more week and let's stand and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. For those of you that are visiting with us, uh, first of all, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the table in the foyer. You're welcome to. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can keep that as your a gift from us to you. Um, other than that, they're loners. And um, we want everybody to be looking at a Bible when we're studying it because we're making lots of observations from the passage and from uh, the Word of God. And it's, it's really important that we're able to track and follow along. First of all, and it protects me because it makes sure that I'm teaching the Word because you're looking down at it and saying, I'm sorry, but it doesn't say this, and you're testing me. That's a protection for me. That's a protection for you. And, and, you know, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul commended the Bereans because they were more, more noble than those from Thessalonica because they tested and searched the Scriptures daily to seeing if what the Apostle Paul said was, was true. And, and, and they were commended. The, the Apostle Paul wasn't threatened. Hey, I'm an apostle. You can't, you don't test me, you don't question me. No, he's subject to, and any Christian is subject to, no matter what their position is in the body of Christ, subject to the scriptures. The scriptures is the, is the final word. And, and so it's important for us to, to, to know that. But also it's important for you to see where I'm getting what I'm saying and be able to remember it and see that it's God's word speaking and not me. Heaven forbid it's me speaking. Amen? Amen. Wave at me here that you're tracking that we want God's word. All right. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of correction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure, let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is seduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have, he may have to give up all the, all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will, not, he will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you, may, you give many gifts. Chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, 
in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent uh, impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us fill our... Come take our fill of love until morning, and let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and, and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your eternal word that will outlive the heavens and the earth. We recognize, Lord, as this world gets worse and worse and people increase their rhetoric and their opinions and make decisions based on carnality, on their carnality, Lord, we need your word more than ever to anchor our souls, to instruct our hearts, to rebuke us, to give us comfort, to encourage us, to give us wisdom. And we yield our hearts to you now. We quiet our hearts before you. Holy Spirit, teach us and instruct us uniquely in what we need to make changes in in our lives. By your grace and by your power, we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've been going through Proverbs verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we've been learning all about wisdom. And we've seen that the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is information, but wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. How do I apply it? How do I live it out? I can know how to nail a nail into a piece of wood with a hammer in my head. I could be taught that in a class, but there's a whole nother, it's a whole other thing actually putting it in the wood for the first time and knowing how to do it without smashing my thumb. And somebody that's been around a while, that's been in the trades or been in construction, can give me a lot of information in how to apply the information that I've learned. And without that information, we're at a great disadvantage. But now we're in the middle of something greater than just construction, as wonderful as that is. We're engaged in the Lord constructing our spiritual maturity. And we're involved in living lives that are supposed to be pleasing to him. Worship is more than singing, as we know. It's more than giving. It's, it's our whole lives. Worship should constitute our whole life. Everything that we do and say, all of our motivations, all of our decisions, should be an overflow of our love for him because he first loved us. First John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator. He's initiated this great expression of love. Now we have the privilege of living our lives in response to that amazing expression of love. It's a privilege. Amen? It's a great privilege. 
So here he is giving us so much wisdom as we've been going through all these things. And so we've been looking at, and it started a few chapters ago, and especially last week we got into a lot of specifics related to sexual purity, to keeping ourselves pure. But also we touched on last week how to be wise related to finances, to not co-sign for a sluggard. Uh, to not look at someone that's lazy and, and not doing what they're supposed to be doing and enabling them by giving them our signature, our name, our reputation, our legal binding contract or whatever we could offer to facilitate, to further facilitate irresponsibility. And he talked to us also about the sluggard needs to look at the ant. How wise it is to look at an ant because ants are a great example to us in work ethic in being tenacious, not giving up, in in planning ahead and and to forecast ahead what decisions need to be made in the future and to start thinking and praying about those things. And if the sluggard or the lazy person or the fool, as he often refers to them in the book of Proverbs, did that, then they wouldn't find themselves in the situation in which they find themselves. But mainly last week and you know a couple of weeks ago was mainly about this whole sexual temptation and we'll deal with it once again about this adulterous woman and he talks about basically the apostate adulterous woman and then today he's really talking about someone that's kind of a foreigner that's an apostate woman. So it doesn't matter if they used to be in the church and they're backslidden and they're a temptation or they never were in the church and they, they're maybe doing it as a profession it doesn't matter. We need to stay as far away from those women or men as we possibly can. And one of the things I love about what we saw last week and what we see every week when we study the scriptures is that God's honest with us. He shoots straight. Don't you love friends that shoot straight? Sometimes it hurts, you know. Uh, the scriptures say faithful are the wounds of a friend. We value those people. Because the, the most dangerous place in life is to have people that will only tell you what you want to hear. That's a nightmare for any person. We need people that are honest and shoot straight and get real with us. And that's how God is. Because as we look to the passages related to sexual temptation, and we'll see it again today, he's honest with us that it's very tempting. The nature of how we're made and all of that, how he made us sexual beings and all of that, it is very tempting, those specific things that we have to grapple with and deal with. But we're supposed to direct those desires and urges and all of that into the right place related to marriage and all of that. And one of the things he's also honest with us about is the end. Where sin ends, especially sexual sin. And I referenced the Super Bowl and all the commercials that we were going to see. And so many of them are sexual in nature and all of that. And and they never show, or the sitcoms, the the, the um you know, the soap operas, do people still watch those? I, I think they're still there, soap operas. I'm surprised they haven't come up with one just for guys, you know. Maybe they have. It's called the NFL. Um, it's a soap <laughs> opera these days. But, you know, it's like never-ending drama all the time. And so we have drama in our lives, and then we spend our, our time relaxing and all that, our spare time going over drama reality shows and you know, where they're all bickering and fighting and against each other and all of that but all this sin and all these things that they glamorize that they showcase that they highlight that they lift up as the great life to live actually I almost quoted a soap opera right there uh, very close uh, that's one life to live I think um, but how to get on that I don't know but they, what they don't show is the end where all that leads 
And God's honest with us with the end. And that's what he's trying to get through to us and men and women and young people. That's why I have the youth in here for these weeks talking with this because he's honest with where it leads. And, and we don't think we are the rule. We think that we're the exception. Especially in light of the fact that we can do something and it seems that we are getting away with it. It appears that the rule doesn't apply to us. Can't tell you how many pastors, former pastors I've spoken with and, or heard of that have said, I thought because of what I was doing in ministry that somehow God looked the other way and I was the exception to the rule. Not so. Not at all. You don't see it in scripture. You don't see it anywhere. There's no exceptions. So trouble is coming. God is not mocked. What we, what we sow, that shall we also reap. Says that right in Galatians. So we have to recognize that. So the only voice in this world saying that the end leads to destruction related to these things is God. God's the only one that's saying that. And he's saying it in his word. And because of that, we're saying it, but it's originating from him. So he's going to continue this warning today related to sexual sin. He's going to continue warning us. And people can be tempted to say, why, why? Why is he going on and on about this? Isn't it all what he said already been enough? No. And if God repeats things, he says things once, it's important. But if he repeats things, it's really important. Really, really important. He's talking chapters on this. Chapters. The importance of understanding. The importance of keeping ourselves pure. The importance of staying away from even even being in the realm of being near to the possibility of being tempted, like as far away as we can, instead of thinking we can face it, we're strong, I've been a Christian for four months, I'm, I'm yeah, I can make it, I'm right there, I can endure it, I, you know, whatever, and then we fall prey to it. And, and, and we'll see in, in, our, in our passages today that we're not supposed to get close to it whatsoever. We're supposed to be like Joseph with Potiphar's wife, and boom, gone. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, flee youthful lusts he didn't say take it on stand strong against it he said leave now spiritual warfare he tells us to stand temptation he tells us to flee it's a completely different thing it's serious stuff and we need to take it seriously so let's begin in chapter 6 verse 20 he says my son keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother so he begins with my son we've seen this repeatedly over and over and over again it's something you pass on to a son dad's grandparents, grandfathers, grandmothers, moms, pass it on to your children, these important things. I know that David shared the errors of his way with Solomon. Solomon, at the end of his life, left a lot of this wisdom, and he paid a big price for it. But I, I, I imagine that, that Solomon could hear his, his dad's voice in his head. It's my son. Keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. And this isn't just independent laws that his parents came up with. This isn't something that originated with David and Bathsheba. This has to do with God because God's the one that instructed them. So it's young people especially, we are passing things on that God has said. We're not just coming up with our own ideas. So we're supposed to keep our father's command, keep and not forsake the law of our mother because those things are from God himself. So I'm sure that Solomon's thinking of his own sons who, who turned away. They did turn away. And, and, and thinking again, like I said, of what his father said to him previously. Verse 21, bind them continually around your heart. Notice the word continually. It's not a one-time thing. 
These instructions need to be continuously applied to our heart. Tie them around your neck as like something that's beautiful, like a necklace, like something that you're wanting everyone to see. You're not ashamed. You're not, if you have a nice necklace, I mean, we really don't wear those gold chains as much anymore. A little, that was more popular before, but sometimes a little, you know, we do that though. But in that culture especially, you would wear these very ostentatious jewelry, you know, uh, necklaces, and it would be a sign of, of your wealth. And, and then religiously, they had their own things related to that as well. But he said, continually upon your heart, tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. He's saying that if you apply this to your heart, you apply God's word to your heart, and you heed it, and you listen, and you desire to obey it, you're not just hearing, of, hearing the word only, but you're doing the word and, and aiming to do the word, and you are hiding his word in your heart that you might not sin against him, as the scripture says then it will be accessible to you wherever you go and whatever situation in which you find yourself. He says, when you roam, when you sleep, they will keep you. When you're awake, they will speak to you. All the time, there's 24-hour-a-day access uh, related to the scriptures speaking to us. You know, I was told as a new Christian, this was specifically for evangelism, but it was for anything, really. It's our job to get the word in us, and it's God's job to bring the word out of us. In, at the right time, related to what to say, related to what to do. It's our job for the intake. And then as he leads us by his Holy Spirit in specific circumstances, I mean, how many of us have been in that situation? We have no idea what to say, and all of a sudden verses are coming out. Like, where'd that come from? I haven't learned that, even seen that verse or thought about that verse in, since, you know, 1978 or something, you know, um, a long time. And where'd that come from? It came from God. Because he brought up something we'd hid in our hearts, and he brought it up for the right at the right um, moment. And and the word keep there, when it says they will keep you, that in the Hebrew, that's literally the word guard. They will guard you. These instructions will guard you. They will they will protect us, will protect our hearts. Verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And I just want to stop there for, for a second. He says that these commandments, is a, the commandment is a lamp. It, it helps us to see. The law is a light. That presupposes and speaks to the fact that this world is dark. It's dark out there. We can't see. When you can't see, bad things happen, right? When you're in your, your car and you can't see, your lights are out or whatever, bad things happen. He's saying, for us, it's, we need that illumination that comes through God's word. And he says, reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, the question is, we all have to ask ourselves at any moment, can we be, receive reproof? Can we receive correction? He's saying it's, it's, the, it's the, way, uh, uh, you know, the way of life. It's the way of living the life that God's provided for us and intends for us. So we have to welcome that. We have to be open to that. It's hard for all of us to take correction, myself included. We all get defensive. But the more humble we are, the more we ask the Lord to give us humble hearts and to humble ourselves before him and others and to be able to receive correction. Because, you know, usually we don't see the whole picture. As much as we think we have a clear picture, usually we don't see all of it. So we need to be open to other people's input, 
But for your own heart, one of the things, in my own heart, one of the things that pride does is it, is it incapacitates us to be able to see it in ourselves. It's one of the first things that pride does. So we, we need other people to bring that up. We need God's word. We need people that love us enough to tell us the truth and speak the truth in love. Now, the rest of this chapter, once again, warns about this adulterous woman. This is the third time, the third major section. Um, all the way through chapter 7, he gives us warnings related to her but you know it's it's all different ways and all different all different um, kind of angles that we've seen up to this point um, and we're going to continue up through chapter seven but a fourth of all the content up to chapter nine has to do with the, with the adulterous woman and being careful so that's how important it is for us to understand the danger of sexual sin the danger of moving outside of God's plan for marriage and to toy with it or tamper or to, to, to play games with it. Verse 24. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. And he's gone over this the last chapter about how seducing she is. says that her lips drip with honey. And her lips are as smooth as oil. And it's appealing. And so that's where he's shooting straight with us. That's where he's being honest. He's saying, I know it's tempting. He's not saying that they don't look good and they're not appealing to us, but he's saying you got to ignore it. And we think because, especially the world, because I have these desires, I automatically, it must mean that I must meet those desires. And that's not true. Just because we have a desire doesn't mean that we're supposed to fulfill it. Our sexual temptations come from our sinful nature. And our sinful nature, our nature has fallen. The world does not accept the premise that, this, that we have fallen natures. They think we're basically good who happen to do little things that are not that big of a deal. God says we're basically sinners. We are sinners at our nature. And that without him, we have no way to make a relationship with him happen because our sin debt needs to be uh, taken care of. So he says they're very flattering. They, they say good things. Who doesn't like to hear good things about them? You know, oh, you know, don't tell me. Oh, shucks, you know, don't tell me that. Don't, you know, don't. Don't say that. That's, that's not right for you to say that about me, you know. I mean, who doesn't? We all like to hear, like, what else have you noticed about me? You know, we like that. And it works. Flattery works. If it didn't work, it wouldn't be in here. You wouldn't be warning against it. So don't think that you're above being flattered. It may be that you just haven't been flattered by the right person yet. And the enemy knows how to bring that right person. At the time where you're the weakest, he doesn't play fair. We're at the weakest part of our time. We're going through struggles with our marriage or whatever. We say we'd never do that. And we're in this context with a a woman or a man or whatever. And all of a sudden, they're noticing all the things that our spouses just happen to be missing. You know, just they're not seeing this stuff. They're not seeing how great I am. They're not seeing, you know, how hot I am or whatever. You know, and now this person's like saying all this stuff. I mean, it must be true. And since I have these urges and these desires, I must, it means that I must meet them. And of course, God's concerned about my happiness above everything else instead of holiness and his word. So I need to act on these things. And it's not, it can't be that bad because all kinds of people do this and they don't suffer. So it should be okay. Nope. Wrong. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Three strikes on, uh, on, on family feud, you know. We didn't get that right whatsoever at all. So it's so important for us to stay close to what God's word says because it's so alluring. 
Verse 25, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. So, so many people in the world think that it's fine to look as long as I don't touch. I love it when people say that to me. Because I say, really? So Jesus said that. Oh, I don't know if he said it, but boy, Jesus said if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And I had a guy tell me just a couple months ago, oh, he didn't say that. I'm like, look up. And I gave him the reference. And he came back the next day and said, yeah, that's brutal. I said, now you're accountable. Now you're accountable. Okay, so we all fall short in that. I do want to say a side note without getting too far into it. Sometimes a spouse that's been hurt by um, another spouse engaged in things that are without another person, sexual sin with that are, but are not with another person think because they've lusted that it's grounds for divorce and the whole idea behind what Jesus said to those Pharisees is that they were thinking they weren't guilty of any sin because they hadn't done it outwardly and Jesus confronting that and he's saying no you're guilty you're sinning but that doesn't mean that that is the same as doing it in person okay as bad as that is it's not the same as doing it in person because if you think about it all of us at some level would be guilty of it is as long as we've lusted after another person while we've been married, we've been, we we're guilty of, of and we'd be grounds for divorce. But that's not what God's word says. So as bad as that is, that is not, um, I don't believe that's the, what he's talking about there. He's telling those Pharisees they're not innocent. And he said, they're, in fact, inwardly, they're full of dead man's bones. And they need to clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the cup. But the issue is lust. Look at verse 25. Do not lust. It all begins with lust. Lust is desiring something that's forbidden. I remember being freshly married almost 23 years ago and just being amazed that I I don't have to guard against lust anymore with my wife because she's not forbidden. She belongs to me and I belong to her. But it starts with the heart. It's been said that a thought breeds an action, an action brings, uh, breeds a habit, a habit breeds a lifestyle, and a lifestyle gives birth to a destiny. It all starts with the thought. That's why God deals with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he, in, in, um, in verses 3 and 4, he talks about us taking every thought into captivity. See, that, that's where it starts. And, and part of growing as a new believer, especially, is learning how to have a disciplined mind, not allowing sinful thoughts to remain in my mind. And, and it, it was described to me like a shopping cart. You know, you're going through the, and you have a toddler in the shopping cart going through the store, and they're putting all kinds of things in while you're looking at the other side of the aisle and all that, and you didn't ask for that. You didn't ask for those things in there. Now, if you walk through the, the checkout and pay for them, then you bought them. You allowed them to stay. But if you... Take them right back out, put them back on the shelf. You haven't bought anything. So the difference is thinking something and then letting it stay. Once we let it stay and we're starting to act on it in our heart, then we're lusting, then we're sinning and all of that. But he says it starts with the heart. We shouldn't lust. He says beauty. Look at that. He says, after her beauty in your heart, do not let her allure you with her eyelids. There's some pretty appealing eyelids out there, I have to say. Haven't you been stumbled by an eyelid before? I have, like, whoa, those eyelids are crazy. Woo, got to put that on Instagram right now. (laughs) See, remember, they wore those covers. 
So a lot of their body was covered. So the eyes were, I'm not saying they had like little, like a full burqa thing, you know, per se, but their eyes were the focus because they were covered up so much. And he's saying, don't be allured by her eyes, basically. Verse 26, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Is that all? crust of bread. Uh, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Look at the verbs of the verse. Reduced and prey. This is speaking of danger. I don't know about you, but I don't like, I wouldn't want to be reduced to a crust of bread. See, this is talking about old moldy bread that's discarded that no one wants and everybody steps on and all of that. That's what we're reduced to. Whether we're a man or a woman, we fall in sexual sin like this, we're reduced to something that is not good for anything in the sense of fruitfulness for God. And he doesn't want that for us. And then he says, the adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Back in my day, sorry for these illustrations and things, but I watched Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. Anyone watch that? Raise your hand if you have mutual bold model. Yeah, yeah, if you're a little bit older, you remember that. The kids are like, what are you talking about? Uh, but he had his assistant, John, that he always put in danger. He didn't put himself in danger. And, and um, I remember watching these shows where these eagles or these hawks would come down and just take the fish right out. And they were just the word prey. I mean, I remember the, hearing that for the first time on mutual Omaha, unfortunately. And I'm like, prey? And I was thinking, prey. And, and, but it wasn't spelled that way. And I'm like, how is it? praying on this how is this this thing praying on this fish there's no not praying it's it's hurting it or whatever and and then they they brought me back into you know sanity and helped me see that it wasn't what they were talking about but that's the description is pray she is she doesn't look like she's gonna pray on us she doesn't look like she is that dangerous she looks appealing everything about her and we're gonna see she's gonna get deal with all the senses is like a tractor beam pulling us in. Sorry for the Star Trek reference, but or Star Wars, but pulling us in. There's this pull in and and everything, but we don't see it that it's danger, danger. Will Robinson, sorry. <laughs> I got to get out of TV land here. Um, we're not going to go to John three and talk about Nick at night, you know, with Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. We won't do that either. But um, um, all right. Verse 27 through 35 gets into the consequences in a big-time way. Look at verse 27. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So these are rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is no. You take hot coals in your lap, you're going to get burned. It's a fact. Um, Your clothes are going to get burned and all of that, and you're going to get burned. And if you walk on hot coals... And your feet, if you, your feet are going to get seared. Tony Robbins has learned this. You know, he's had these, these motivational spe- speeches and had people walk across coals and everything and gotten sued and all. He should have read verse 28. And he would have known he can't do that. Um, see what you can find in scripture? Uh, it, he needs to be looking, not just at this, but other verses, I'm sure. But So it's, you're, you're, there's going to be danger and it's going to happen. And you think you're the exception. You think because, you know this has happened and this has happened and nothing bad's happened that I'm okay and everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. You're going, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's a law. Verse 29. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. So not just a harlot, 
but his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And it literally means in the Hebrew, he shall not go unpunished. And this was a capital crime back in that day. What they would do is they would take the, the couple and they would stone them. That's what the religious leaders wanted Jesus to do when they brought the woman who was caught in adultery before him. They wanted to start the stoning process. They, they knew he was gracious, and they probably hadn't done it in a long time, you know, decades or whatever, I don't know. But they wanted that, and they thought there was going to be a problem there. The, you know, and it, the law required the man to be stoned too. Somehow that man wasn't there, uh, finding how that works. Um, but it was a capital crime, and in some places when they, this would happen, they would take them and put them in like a, a waist-deep um, pit of manure, and make them stand there, and then stone them, and then they would just let their body be in there, and they would plant a tree, and a tree would grow, and it would be a memorial to, this is what happens to you if you uh, commit this crime. And it didn't, it, this wasn't the case all over the place, it just in certain places, that's what they wanted everyone to see. They wanted to see that this tree is a result of uh, people being that disobedient and, and, and forsaking their spouses. Verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may, give, may have to give up all the substance of his house. And see, there's a reason why he brings that up, and it's in verse 32. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. So he's saying that, he's making a contrast here. Because when you, when you, uh, you know, sin by stealing, and when you sin by stealing someone's wife, it's both are thievery. But one can be, Recompensed and can be paid back sevenfold. The, that was allowed, um, but when you steal someone's wife, then now you destroy something that can't be restored. In the sense of re- you can't make up for it. When you break your vows and everything and all of that, you can't make up for that. The spouse can forgive you. The, the Bible doesn't command divorce in that situation. Even if you have grounds, it doesn't command it. A lot of people don't know that. I must divorce you. <laughs> no, you you don't have to divorce that person. God hates divorce. And you may be able to forgive and get past that. But the, dis- the difference is you're not going to forget. And you're, it's always going to be in some level going to be in their mind. And also what you do related to your own soul and all those things, those wounds. He says in verse 33, wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away. Again, there's grace from God and all those things. But you still have this stigma that's there or this stain that's on your reputation that people will think about and all of that and and God doesn't want that for us then he gives what will happen to you if you steal your your neighbor's wife verse 34 for jealousy is a husband's fury therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance he will accept no recompense nor will he be appeased though you may though you give many gifts so the person that steals for food they can repay and society will accept that. But when you steal from your, hus- your, your, neighbor's, your neighbor related to his wife or husband or whatever, there's no way that you can repay that. You can't give recompense for that. And you're going to receive the fury of, of the spouse and whatever that means. So he's saying don't think that uh, you're like the person that steals for food and can make this up by giving, making restitution and all that. You can't. 
with, with, with this. Chapter 7. My son, keep, and that word in the Hebrew means to obey. My son, obey my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live in my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So the apple of our eye, that, that which, it's like a pupil. You know, we're, we're looking at God's word so much. We're receiving God's word. We're obeying God's word. It's what's in our vision. It's like the apple of our eye. It's what's before us. It's what we see through. It's how we view life. It's how we, how we survive in life as a, as a believer. He says, um, keep them and obey and, and so forth. Like it's the apple of your eye and bind them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, the issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. Our hearts have, you know, it's so funny when I'm around people out in different environments or whatever and they'll say some profanity or whatever and, and they'll apologize and, and they keep talking about that they have a problem with their mouth. And all I do is I'm thinking about the fact that Jesus said, you don't have a lip problem, you have a heart problem because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the next question could be, if the Lord led this way in my discussion with them is, how do you fix your heart? Because you have control over your lips to some point. I mean, I remember when I was young and I used profanity. I didn't use it in front of my mom. I didn't use it when I was buying, you know, whatchamacallit candy bars at the, at the corner store. And I dropped some money or whatever and was upset about it. I didn't do it in front of that adult. I had control to a certain level. But I couldn't control it completely. And, you know, God can change the heart. Can change the heart completely. And that's what has to happen so it's important for us to model that as parents to model obedience to model having the word of god be before our eyes to to bind them around our fingers to have it be before us all the time to do family devotions to to help our kids learn how to have a devotional life you know help them see the value of god's word to not just let them see the fruit of a life that's surrendered to god's word and see that different kind of life that's important but part of that is helping them understand how to learn it, how to grow in it. I mean, if, in our children's ministry, from four years old all the way through sixth grade, if they went from that period of time, they have gone through all the major content in the Bible twice. Not just topics, but content in each book all the way through. But it doesn't depend on them, those teachers that are serving and sacrificing for our kids. It's our responsibility as parents to give them that appetite for God's word from their earliest days from their earliest days, and let them see the the amazing value of the Word of God. Let them see the the, the amazing beauty of of holiness and where that comes from. Now, notice in verses 4 and 5, we have a woman to watch over us, and that woman is wisdom. Woman is wisdom. Verse 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. See, family are the ones that keep us from trouble, right? They're the ones that say things that no one else will say many times. If they're good, if they're good in their relationship with us, if they're proper and all of that, and he's saying the woman that you should be concerned about is wisdom. We looked at that last week. And all through these chapters we've seen the Holy Spirit through Solomon describe wisdom as a woman. 
because the whole issue is watch out for the immoral woman. There's a better woman, <laughs> way infinitely better that you should focus on, and that's wisdom. She will protect us and guard us and all of that. So he's saying, pretend like wisdom and prudence are your relatives. Pretend like wisdom is your sister and, and prudence is your nearest kin. And pretend like they're the ones that are your family because if you do that and you're intimate with them and you give them access to your life by submitting your hearts to it, to those things, they'll save you just like any family member. In fact, greater than any family member ever could from so much hardship and destruction. Verse 6. For at the window, now this is kind of like God in a poetic way looking out. This is like God looking out and seeing this whole process. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, and that word literally means to be naive or gullible, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. So this is a, a young man devoid of understanding. He didn't have a parent like you or a grandparent like you to give him this wisdom. He didn't have, and that was me, as I shared last week. I didn't have anyone to share those things with me, and I wish I did. So it, it, it's, it's, they've, we need to reinforce these things. We need to teach these things to our kids. But notice it says that they, this young man, devoid of understanding, passed along near her corner. That was the problem. Shouldn't have been near her corner. The danger was when he went near her corner, and then it's like progressive, right? Because it just goes from one thing to another. Oh, I'll just go near her corner, and I'll just look at it from afar. And then you, you get by the corner near it, and you're like, you know, that path doesn't look that bad. I've been warned about it, but it looks, you know, pretty decent. I'm just going to see what her house looks like. I'm not going to go in, but I'm going to go down this path. Don't even go near her house <laughs> whatsoever. And look at the progression there in verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. It gets darker and darker and darker. It seems as if he gets closer and closer and closer. That's why bars are dark. That's why areas where people are sinning, it's dark. Because they want to be in the dark. They want to hide what they're doing. They don't want it to be fully seen how they're enjoying the sin. They, want, they don't want the light. You know, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And we, if we have fellowship with one another, we, we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's why when one of us is in willful disobedience, it's really hard to have fellowship. We can't have fellowship with one another because one person is not walking in the light. That's why we need to be able to receive reproof from one another uh, related to God's word. Verse 10, And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot, so that would be someone that we would call someone that's dressed to kill or dressed to the nines or whatever. And, and it's appropriate to say they're dressed to kill because in verse 22, they're going to lead this man to the slaughter. Um, and so we say also see that she has a crafty heart, crafty heart. She knows what she's doing is wrong deep in her heart of hearts, but she has a plan. She has something she's implementing to entice and bring this young man in. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking. And that word in the Hebrew, lurking, means ambush. <laughs> it's not fun to be ambushed. Um, at every corner. So she caught him. See, it's because he was close. He shouldn't even have been near the corner. So she caught him and kissed him. 
And with an impudent, and that means arrogant face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. And of course, the whole story of I'm going through this, and I'm going through this struggle, and I'm, I, you know, she's bringing God into it. There's a lot of religious people use a lot of religious talk. And one of the things that young people fall for very easily is if they hear the religious talk, oh, they must be a Christian. Yeah, you know, do you believe in God? Yeah. Do you, are you a Christian? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then you never bring it up again. I'm good. I've checked the box off. And there's no testing to see if it's legitimate and to see if they actually are walking with Christ. I can't tell you how many counseling things I've been a part of where the young person refused to wait and see if that person really was a Christian, really was a disciple of Jesus Christ, took their word for it, and then got into all kinds of trouble. And they could say, well, they said, they told me they're a Christian. Yeah, but it's, it's respons- you're responsible for seeing if they're a Christian first by watching what they do, not just what they say, because talk is cheap. There's a lot of God talk out there. <laughs> and she's put, you know, it, framing this in the context of peace offerings, and I paid my vows, I've done my religious service, and, and you know, I did all these things and, and, and sought God and all this, and I came out to, to, I was seeking somebody, and I came out to, to meet somebody, and I met you, and I, I'm, I've sought after your face, and I have found you. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you found me? You've been looking for me? You've been doing all this religious stuff, and I'm the one that you found? Wow, God must have brought me to you. No, your feet have brought you to them because you got near her corner. And you got near, no, they don't blame it on God. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of, we're responsible for that. And we didn't have understanding, we didn't heed it, we didn't listen to it. Watch actions, not just words, obviously. Verse 16, I have spread my bed with tapestry, Colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I mean, we're talking every sense, sensory thing here. Every sense, you know, the eyes, the smells, the sounds, the everything. He's just bombarding. Remember, the word told us that she was crafty. She's thought this through. That's why all this is happening. I don't get cinnamon. I mean, maybe cinnamon is tempting some people. It's not tempting. I mean... I like waffles and I like, you know, I like, I like, you know, cinnamon toast crunch and all that, but that's not getting me to compromise. I mean, I'm already compromising that stuff. I'm not, it's not going to compromise me in other ways. That's for sure. But I guess everybody's different on that. So, uh, but coming all, covering all the senses, verse 18, come, let us take our fill. Let us take our fill. Now that word there in the Hebrew is the same word for, for drink. When he talked earlier, when God talked earlier that we saw in previous chapters where he talked about drink out of your own cistern. It's the same Hebrew word. And, he's, and so this young man is not drinking out of any other cistern but someone else's. And, and, and he's, it says drink to our fill, to drink until we're satisfied. And this word love that appears twice in the verse of love until morning, let us delight ourselves with love. This is always, in Hebrew, always the word that's talking about sexual intimacy. And we confuse love, true love, as God defines love, as that, especially in this world. Young ladies, don't ever let a man, young men, don't ever let a a young lady tell you, if you love me, you'll go to bed with me before marriage. It's not true. They don't truly love you. Because love is doing what's best for the other person, even at my own expense. It's not inward. This lust is all inward focused. 
And, and that's where we see the difference. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home because he, I'm sure that young man would be interested in that information. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and he will come home on the appointed day. So you have nothing to be afraid of. This is obviously supposed to be speaking of danger, danger, danger. It's like if you have to worry about when someone's coming home, then you're doing something wrong. She's already planned this out. She's already planned it out completely. Verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. So who yielded? He did. She didn't, he didn't, uh, he's not a victim here. But she, over, she bombarded and overwhelmed every sense that he had. And it became to where he was so weak, he did not know to call on God and get the strength. Because even in our weakest time, even if we're totally gone down the wrong path or whatever, in that moment, he always gives a way of escape. We can call upon God to give us this grace and the strength to obey him and get out of there. God can always give us that. He always does. And people want to be, give excuses. But it, it says, nope, you don't have an excuse. She caused him to yield, but he still yielded. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. But notice something in verse 22. I really want you to see this, the word immediately, the being in verse 22. Because it says immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. The word immediately it shows that he was resisting, 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 resisting all these things she was adding, 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 overwhelming the senses, overwhelming the temptation, until finally he just gives in. And when he gave in, he went immediately. He, he, he was resisting, but then he, he went immediately and just joined in. And without, with, with reckless abandon, when he should have turned the opposite way and immediately ran out of that house as fast as he could. But ultimately, when he ran towards her, he was not running to her. He was running to the slaughter and as a fool to the correction of the stocks. And, and that's what was the real situation. And then, then, then look what the repercussions are further in verse 23. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. See, again, deception isn't, is so powerful. And the, the consequences are not always immediate. That's what I've seen so many times. Oh, I'm getting away with it. I've been doing this for months or years or whatever, and nothing's going to happen to me. And it, all of a sudden, one day, it comes crashing down. But the greater thing, in some respects, is that you just quench the spirit in your life for all that time. You're not having devotions. You're not preaching the gospel. You're not serving. You're not uh, giving your life away. You're not being fruitful for him. All of that's wasted life because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. So he's calling us to be completely yielded and he doesn't want us to wait, but the destruction will eventually come. Again, God is not mocked. Notice in verse 24, he says, Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart, see the issue is the heart. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Because see, the heart allows you to get to her paths. But if you guard the heart, you won't even get to her path. That, and then so that means you will never get to her house, which means you'll never get to the invitation and get to see the whole situation and be in that area where you're completely overwhelmed with temptation. Very important. And then he gives us a warning. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. So you think because I'm strong, it's not going to happen to me. And God says, no, let me be honest with you. I don't care how strong you think you are. You're not strong enough for that. And so don't be deceived and think that you're above all this, thinking that you're a strong guy. 
she will have you wrapped around her finger so quick and you'll be compromising so fast and that immediately will be true of you too. Immediately you will throw yourself into that sin. Verse 27, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. What a strong warning. What a strong warning. We need to heed it. He's said it over and over again. He's warning us out of love. He's being honest with the temptation, honest with the repercussions, honest with the end. He wants purity in his church. And I'm exhorting myself. He wants purity in the church. What's on your computer? What TV shows do you watch? What songs do you listen to? What people are you around? What are you allowing into your life that's working against your walk with him? You need to take some time with the Lord and have him reassess your life. And if it's all good and you've put all these things in place and you're not going these directions, all of that, you still need to be on guard. Because someday there'll be that perfect opportunity that didn't require any premeditated thought or planning. And it's just right there in front of you. And you're not doing well that at that particular moment. And you fall into it. We all need to hear this exhortation. I wish it could be super perky and like joyful content, but it's important. Like Pastor Chuck used to tell us in class, fellas, don't just give them the sweets. Give them the meat and potatoes. And if you teach all of the Bible, you'll, you won't spare them of what they need to hear and I need to hear. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the clarity and the strength of your word. Search our hearts, Lord. Search our hearts. If there's anything in us that we're, we're in willful disobedience over, reveal it so we can repent. And the things that we know about, we want to repent and ask you to forgive us, Lord. Thank you that your word never lowers the standard. Thank you that your word is always honest with us, that you're honest with us. Give us a supernatural hunger for your word. Help us as parents and grandparents to lead our children and grandchildren in the way that they should go, to warn them, to give them an appetite for your word, to be honest with them, and to, and to model what it looks like to live the abundant life of holiness by your grace and by your power. We thank you for speaking to us this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.